I met a young girl named Melissa in the mid-1990s that was at the United Methodist Youth Camp in Leesburg. Melissa was attending camp for the first time, and she was eighth grade. You remember what it's like to be in eighth grade? That difficult time? This young lady had lots of difficulties because she also lived at the Florida United Methodist Children's Home. Melissa had come to the home because her family was abusive, even brutal. She came because she needed a safe place to be. But as you can imagine, she had little or no self-confidence, and she would say she did not love herself. It hurts when you hear a child say that. And you could see that hurt in her face. So that week, I was preaching. I was doing mid-high camp, preaching to the middle schoolers every night. And on Thursday evening, I talked about how God sees each of us, how much God loves us. And if we could only see ourselves the way God sees us, it would be profoundly life-changing. That's the night that Melissa finally got it. It clicked. She gave her heart to Christ, and everything changed for Melissa. She began to see herself in a way that she had never experienced before. She began to gain confidence. She began to trust. That's a huge thing. She began to care for others. It wasn't just me and myself. She began to really reach out to others to help them. Melissa said she was happy for the first time she could remember. You see this picture. Well, that's, can we back up to that picture? I want to make sure. There you go. There's Melissa. That's Melissa just a few days ago with her daughter. She's happy, smiling. She's reunited with her mother. She's married, of course, and has a beautiful daughter. Life really changed years ago for Melissa. But you could say at one point in your life, Melissa was lost. And she could see no way out of her darkness. Then she met Jesus. Now, Melissa's story is not unusual. It's very common. Met people at different circumstances, different reasons, but they would say in some sense that they're in the darkness too, or they're lost. There's an old story about someone who's lost that comes from the Gospels. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and let's read this story that I hope is familiar to you. It's a story of another person who's struggling with life. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but because of the crowd, he could not. And also because he was very short in stature. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said, Lord, half Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. 
that's the gospel account. The story is that there was a man, a small man living in Jericho. His name was Zacchaeus. That's an ironic name, by the way, because it was a nickname for a longer name of Zechariah. Zechariah means righteous one. Zacchaeus hardly lived up to his name. In fact, he was the antithesis of righteousness. But he was also a chief tax collector, which meant he had power and he had influence. Now, in that region, Rome had divided the districts up. There were different districts, and over each district was a chief tax collector. That chief tax collector had different tax collectors that would work under him. This chief tax collector in Jericho would, like the others, be seeking to get as much as they could to fatten their own pockets. They would assess a tax. If a person protested or said it was unfair, then they had Herod soldiers there to threaten them. There was muscle behind them to enforce it. The taxes would be collected, and they would move up the chain to the Roman government. But whatever you could collect over and above the tax that Rome assessed was yours to keep. So that phrase, that he was a rich man, is no small thing. He was very good as chief tax collector. Not only did he collect Rome's taxes, but he had really built up quite a bank account for himself. As chief tax collector... Zacchaeus is probably responsible for collecting tolls on goods coming into Judea from Perea, which would have been the main trade route. In other words, he's got a cushy job. He's got want a position that people would want to have. This is a lucrative job. And the business had made him rich. So these details about his height, his wealth, these are not small things. But let's not forget that Zacchaeus was also hated by the people. They saw him as a crook, as a traitor, an agent for Rome. You know, the oppressors. He collected their money. He gave that to the occupation government. And you know they resented it. But here's what we know about Zacchaeus. He is short, he is wealthy, and he is hated. But he's also curious. He runs ahead to where he knows Jesus will pass by. He climbs a tree so he can see Jesus. And then, as Jesus is walking by, mobbed by the townspeople, he stops and looks up and calls Zacchaeus by name. Incredibly, he calls him personally. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus, in a sentence, conveys urgency. He's not content to catch up with Zacchaeus later, which could have happened. Hey, um, we'll catch up later. Love to talk to you. Maybe we can have a cup of coffee. It's none of that. We've got to do this right now. The journey is interrupted. Everything else that's going on is put to a stop. The word that's used there, day, D-E-I, that's the Greek word, For urgency is very important because it means I have to, I must. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I must come to dinner with you now, immediately. We can't let anything else get in the way. This has got to happen right now. 
Now, in our world, we might think of this as presumptuous. He didn't have an invitation. I mean, as you're shaking hands with me at the back door and I say, oh, by the way, I'm coming to your house right now for dinner, you'd probably take a step back and gas. You might recover and say, okay. <laughs> but it might be rude. It might be presumptuous. So let's not overlook what Jesus is doing. This urgency must be very, very important. But Jesus has to do this right away. I don't know, maybe Zacchaeus wasn't offended. We like to live vicariously sometime to have somebody famous come to our house, take a selfie with them. I got to have lunch with Jesus. Maybe Zacchaeus was thinking that. We really don't know, but something is going on because he scrambles down out of the tree and he welcomes Jesus. That's what upsets everybody else. Because the choice of dinner companions did not make Jesus popular in Jericho. But as I read that, I thought, I am really grateful that Jesus loves us, whether or not others approve. Let me say that again. Not everybody's going to approve of you or what you've done. But Jesus loves us anyway, in spite of that. Here he is, having lunch with the social outcast. People probably are jealous that the honor of Jesus' presence goes to what they would deem an unworthy citizen. And perhaps they're thinking less of Jesus for associating with people like Zacchaeus. But look carefully at Zacchaeus' reaction to his guest. Luke tells us that he stood up. Now, in the Greek, that indicates that he was kneeling and then got up. So you have this sense that Zacchaeus is kneeling before Jesus, then stands up. He had fallen to his knees. Something was happening. And now he rises. And he offers something profound to give half his possessions to the poor. In one stroke, he pledges half of everything to help the poor. Jewish law said, if you've done something wrong and you want to come clean, you need to give 20%. Zacchaeus goes way beyond that. Something powerful is at work in Zacchaeus' life. You can see the surrender unfolding. But he isn't done. I mean, right there, if it stopped there, that would have been remarkable. But then he offers restitution to anyone he has wronged. Four times the amount that he has cheated them out of. That's an important word in the Greek. The word we translate as cheated is sukofanteo. Sukofanteo doesn't mean just cheat. It means to secure something through intimidation or extortion. He's the mafia of Jericho. You give me that or I'll break your arm kind of guy. No wonder they didn't like Zacchaeus. They didn't love him. They hated him. No wonder they were upset seeing Jesus eat with him. It's incredible, though, to see such repentance in a man who realizes that his life must change. And what we find is that his acts of repentance are genuine. It began, though, with a calling, calling of Jesus, asking Zacchaeus to come out of the tree and to a time of personal honesty. Here's God's grace in action. 
Love changes people. It changed Melissa, that eighth grader who detested herself, who had seen nothing but darkness and pain for her life up to that point, suddenly saw light and love. It happened to Zacchaeus. And it happens when we surrender ourselves to that powerful love. It is life-changing. Lloyd Douglas, in his classic, The Mirror, imagines an exchange, just how that conversation went between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Jesus, he writes, said gently, Zacchaeus, what did you see that made you desire this peace? Zacchaeus answers, good master. I saw mirrored in your eyes the face of Zacchaeus that I was meant to be. I could see myself in your eyes as I was really supposed to be. What do you think I was telling Melissa that night? If you could see yourself the way Jesus sees you, it'll change everything. I would imagine that's part of the conversation that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. Some of you know The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis. Wonderful book, full of metaphor. There is evil in the book, and there is good. The metaphor for God or Jesus is the Lion Aslan. But these four young people find themselves in a fantastical world called Narnia. And one of them, Edmund, goes the wrong way. They're all good kids, but Edmund falls under the spell of evil. He is part and parcel of what is going to destroy Narnia and hurt his friends, his family. But there comes a point in the book where Edmund, even after he's betrayed his friends, after he's fallen under the spell of evil, is rescued from the witch. And then Edmund has this time with Aslan, the lion. It is Aslan who saves Narnia. And they're walking, C.S. Lewis writes, in the morning after Edmund's rescue. Now, interesting, Lewis does not tell us what they're saying as they walk, but we know something is said that changes Edmund forever. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. There is no need to tell you what Aslan was saying, but it was a conversation which Edmund never forgot. As others drew nearer, Aslan turned to meet them, bringing Edmund with him. And Aslan said to Edmund's siblings, Here is your brother, and there is no need to talk to him about what is past. You know, there is so much in Lewis's story which echoes the radical change in the life of Zacchaeus. And I I know there were probably some in Jericho who wanted to hold it against him. He said, Don't forget. Remember how he treated us. There may have been some at the children's home or there at the camp or in the school that Melissa went to who would have said, you know what she's like. But God calls us to let it go. Because something powerful and radical has happened. Whatever Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about at lunch that day, it changed Zacchaeus forever in a radical way. It changed Melissa's life. It can change your life. It has changed so many lives. 
Zacchaeus surrendered his insecurity. He embraced his future with Jesus. And folks, we are called to do the same. To surrender those dark and hurtful things and instead receive the love of Christ. Some of you know Bruce Larson. He's a Christian counselor. In his book, Believe and Belong, he tells about how he was working with people who were struggling to surrender their lives to Christ. They had a hard time doing that, but that's what they needed. Larson writes, for many years I worked in New York City, and I offered counseling at my office. There were any number of people who were wrestling with this yes or no decision. Should I follow Jesus? Larson said, I would often suggest they walk with me from my office down the road to the RCA building, which is located there on Fifth Avenue. Because in the entrance of that building was this gigantic statue, a statue of Atlas. Here was this beautifully proportioned man who, with all his muscle straining, is holding the world upon his shoulders. There he is. The most powerful profoundly, powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand under the burden. And Larson added, now, that's one way to live. I would point out to my companion, he said, trying to carry the world on your shoulders. That is one way to live. But come with me now across the street. Because on the other side of Fifth Avenue was St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus. In the depiction, Jesus is about eight or nine years old. But with no effort, he's holding the world in one hand. Well, you could see the point easily. Larson would tell whoever he was with, we have a choice. We can carry the world on our shoulders Or we can say, I give up. I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world. The whole world. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, we have that same choice. To keep struggling with the world. Or maybe, like Zacchaeus and like Melissa, to surrender to the transformative love of God. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Sometimes, Lord, we work to our own detriment, struggling to carry the burdens, the anger, the hurt, the shame, when instead you invite us to cast our burdens upon you, to receive your rest, to understand how much you love us. It changed Melissa's life when she did that. It changed Zacchaeus' life. Indeed, it can change all our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, when I was serving a church in Central Florida, there was a gentleman in the church named Leonard. Leonard was an alcoholic, and he was mean when he was drunk. He showed up to the office one day, and he was angry at a woman, and I was trying to keep him off the road to make sure he didn't go back out drinking and driving. While we were standing there talking, he was so angry at her, he balled up his fist and took a swing, and he hit me. I mean, he hit me hard. 
with a closed fist. He was shocked when he did it. I was shocked when he did it. (laughs) But I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, Leonard, this is not who Jesus made you to be. Jesus has told me to love you, and I must admit right now I have the minimal amount of love for you. (laughs) But I do love you, brother. This is not who you are. It's time to stop. Leonard died about nine years later, and when they had his funeral, one of the things that was truthfully said was that Leonard was the most changed, radically changed person that they'd ever seen. Not only did he give up drinking, but the true Leonard came out. He was kind and generous and loving, and he was my friend. That's what Jesus does. But it is your choice. You can keep carrying the world on your back, or you can let go and give it to him. And that makes all the difference, an eternal difference. Go in peace and go in love. Amen.